Lord, we thank you for your word and that through your word you guide us and lead us and teach us. And not just about spiritual things, but about everyday, ordinary, normal things. Lord, our prayer this morning is that as we open up the book of Proverbs and look at some of the things you have to say to us about family, that you would encourage us or challenge us, but that each of us would leave here with you having said something very clearly to us. Direct us this morning, guide our path this morning through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you can finish this proverb. We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our... That was pathetic. We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our... Yeah, and some of us are thinking, I wish we could have chosen our family. Uh, I don't know, our families are complicated. Families can be wonderful. Families can be difficult. Families can be full of joy. Our families can be things that pain us. Every family is different. And I don't know what your family is like, but what I do know is that your families are all different from each other. My family is different from yours and yours are different from one another. And maybe this morning as I've talked about family, for some of you, you've kind of been smiling inside. You know there's been a joy because you've had a wonderful family experience. But I'm also aware this morning that this morning as some of you sit here and even just saying the word family, it brings you a pain. Because family life for you has not been what you hoped or wanted. So I'm aware of that this morning. I'm aware that we sit here and we have different experiences of family. But in the Bible, God does speak to us about family. He speaks to us about family life. He speaks to us about how to live in a family together. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of these things. Not everything will be applicable to you. Not everything will directly translate into your life. But we're going to look at them regardless. But what's interesting is that God in his grace has not just given us our biological family, but he's given us each other, hasn't he? He's given us each other in this church family. Those of us who belong to Christ, those of us who have trusted Jesus as the forgiver of our sin, God has brought into his family. And so this morning, even when we look at Proverbs, even when we're looking really at the biological family, we're going to also look at how what the proverb says also applies to us as a church family. So let's look at five different people that Proverbs addresses and one of the main things that he says to each of these. So the first people we're looking at this morning are children. What does Proverbs say to children? And it's mainly actually thinking not so much of little children, but it's thinking of teenagers. So you guys up there, it's thinking of you lot. Okay, what does Proverbs say to teenagers, to young people living at home? Well, very simply, it says that children are to listen to their parents. It's really interesting, but young people are not very good at listening to their parents, are they? Are you? Hey? Not very good at listening to their parents. Mum and dad says one thing and it goes in one ear and out the other. Or mum and dad says something and children think they know nothing, my parents. They don't know anything. We've all been like that as teenagers. This is Joshua's bike helmet. And uh, whenever I was a teenager, the one thing my dad always said every time I went out on my bike 
was make sure you wear your helmet. And of course, I said, okay, Dad. And I put my helmet on. And as soon as I cycled around the corner, I thought, what does he know? I won't look cool if I don't have, my hel if I have a helmet on. So I took my helmet off, and I did that thing where I hung it over the handlebars. Hands up if you've seen kids do that today. I see it all the time. See, when we were taking Josh to school, I see teenagers from Grosvenor, and they're cycling along, and the helmet is hanging over the handlebars. As an adult, as an adult I'm thinking, that's not going to help you if you fall off your bike. But it's true, isn't it? As teenagers... We just don't listen to our parents. What do they know? They know nothing. Now, what's interesting is that there's actually a scientific reason for this. Did you know that? You see, it wasn't just a problem today. It was actually a problem back 3,000 years ago in Proverbs. But there's a scientific reason why you lot don't listen to your parents. There's a scientific reason why we didn't listen to our parents when we were teenagers. And it's all to do with brain development. There's a part of the brain, and I'm going to sound so smart, I'm not a scientist, but I'll hopefully get this right, Scott can correct me, and it's called the prefrontal cortex. And this part of the brain, it's responsible for making good decisions. It's responsible for regulating emotions. It's responsible for making good moral choices. It's the part of the brain that we need to make good decisions in life. It's the part of the brain we made to make good moral choices. And it doesn't fully develop until you're 25. <laughs> so until you're 25, you're not fully developed in your thinking. And if you're a teenager, you're even less developed in your thinking than a 25-year-old will be. The reason why young people struggle to listen to their parents and take on board their advice and listen to them is because this part of the brain is not quite fully developed. And so that's why God emphasizes over and over and over again to you lot up there and to all of us who are young people that we're to listen to our parents. Look at this from Proverbs chapter, the different parts of Proverbs. Look what it says there. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Proverbs 4, listen, my sons, to your father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Proverbs 6, 20 to 24, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. And when you awake, they'll speak to you. God knows how quickly our brains develop. He made them. And so God, over and over in the Bible, says to teenagers, says to young people, says to children, listen to your parents, listen to your parents, listen to your parents, listen to your parents. Forge guys, what are you to do? Listen to your parents. Now why? It's because parents actually act like the prefrontal cortex. Parents are there and they give advice to children to stop them doing dumb things. Case in point. They protect their children with their words. If they see their children about to make a choice that's going to lead them down a terrible path, the parent will tell them not to do it, but will to go another way. 
It's to save them from bad choices that will affect their future. Guys, the reason you're to listen to your parents, it's not because they're trying to ruin your fun. They're not. They're trying to help you and protect you and guide you and lead you and make sure that you don't do dumb things before your brain is fully developed. So let's listen to our parents if we're teenagers. I think it's really interesting what Mark Twain says. Mark Twain, he was an author, but he just has all of these amazing quotes. He was so bright and all of these observations of life. And I can relate to him. He says this, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) And it's true, isn't it? When we're teenagers, our parents know nothing and then we become adults and we realize, boy, they are wise and they know stuff. And if you're a teenager, I just want to encourage you that your parents know stuff, that they are wise and you do really well to listen to them. And in the church, it's the same. In the church, we are surrounded by people who have wisdom, who have life experience, who know how to live this life. And I really want to encourage us to be a church family who listen to one another. Maybe you're a younger person in your 20s or 30s. See, I'm counting younger people 30s because I'm still in my 30s, you know. So if you're a young person like me, you know, uh, you've got some people who are a little bit older, who are a little bit longer in the tooth, who've walked the path longer. If you need advice, if you need help, if you need instruction, if you need guidance, why not talk to them and, and ask them, pick their brains, see what they think. We're blessed in this church family to have older saints. Let's listen to one another. Let's get advice when we need it. Let's listen to each other in this church family. Okay, let's go on then to parents. And the simple direction in Proverbs given to parents is that parents are to direct their children. That they're to set the direction that their children go. Look at this verse, verse 6 of chapter 22. Proverbs says, Start children off on the way they should go, And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now remember, this is a principle, not a promise. We said this at the start of Proverbs. This is a general principle. So like, for example, I have set Joshua off on the path of football instead of rugby. And I'm very proud because he's embracing it. And I'm confident that whenever he's a 40-year-old man, he will still be passionate about football and have zero interest in rugby. Okay, but it's a principle, so he might like rugby. You know, it's not a promise, but I've set him off on the right path of football over rugby. And there's some of you who would like to argue about that, but I'm right, it's the best sport. Uh, but do you see the principle here? With a child, we, we set them off on paths when they're young. And if we set them off on a path when they're young, there is a very good chance that whenever they're older, they'll still be walking along that path. And parents, our job is to set our kids off on the right path. To set them off on a good trajectory. To set them off in good directions. There's a school of thought, and I don't know how long it's been around, but it's prevalent today. As a parent, I can tell you it's prevalent today. And the school of thought is that we should let children just kind of set their own agenda. That in the home we should let the children lead. That we should let them lead the family. That we should let children explore all of the things they want to explore and just set their own path. 
Now, I understand that to some degree. We don't want to be so rigid and strict with our children that their life is miserable, but it's also a very dangerous thing. Imagine I let Micah just walk home from school by himself. Micah's four. Imagine I said, Micah, you can just make your own way home. I'm not going to lead you. I'm not going to direct you. I'll just kind of stand off and just let you get there. And I'm not going to point you in the right way. I'm not going to help you across the roads. I'm not going to tell you how to get there. Away you go, son. That would be really dumb, wouldn't it? That would be really dumb. And it wouldn't only be dumb, it would be really, really dangerous. Because who knows what directions he might take? Who knows what paths he might come across? Who knows who he might encounter? Now as a father, as a good father, I'm going to lead and direct my child the right way. And if you're a parent here this morning, that's what you're called to do. You're called by God to set your kids off, go in the right direction. Set them off on the right path. Just don't let them go anywhere, but set them off on the right way. In the hope that they will follow it right into adulthood. Now what is the right way? Well, there, there's two things I want you to think about. First of all, if you're an adult, think about, first of all, if you're a parent, think about the, the type of adult you want your child to be. Imagine them as a grown-up man or woman. What is the type of person you want them to be? If you want them to be a kind person, then get on board with encouraging them when they're being kind. Get on board with encouraging kindness. If you want them to be independent people who can do things for themselves, then give them the opportunities at home to do things in an independent way. Think of the type of people you want them to be and then set them off on that path. But the second thing we need to think of as parents is we need to set them off on the right path spiritually. You know, I want a lot of things for my kids. I want a lot of good things for them. But one of the things I really long for them to have whenever they're adults is a relationship with God. My, my greatest prayer for my boys is that whenever they're adults that they'll have the relationship with God that I have, that they'll know him and love him and have him in their life. That's my greatest prayer for them. And so as adults, if that's your prayer and that's what you want for your kids, then, then set them off on that path. Point them to Jesus, bring them to church, read the Bible with them, pray with them, live out your faith at home. <laughs> Heard a funny wee anecdote this week, but um, Johnny's little brother was getting baptized and Johnny was listening as the minister talked about baptism. And the minister said how he wanted Johnny and his brother to be brought up in a Christian home. And when they got in the car, Johnny started crying on the way home. <laughs> and the father turned and said, Johnny, what's wrong? The minister said that we're to be brought up in a Christian home and I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> Do you know, we can come to church and that's good as parents and we can bring our kids to things which are churchy and that's good but but our parents our, our children actually pick up things they're, they're, they they're, things are more caught than taught with kids we need to live it out if you're a parent live it out at home live out your faith 
Don't just talk about it, but walk it. And they'll see that. Don't just teach them the Bible, but show them you actually believe it by how you live. If we're parents, let's set our children off on the right path. Let's set the example for them to follow. And here's something frightening, parents. We're, we're doing this whether we, we think we're doing it or not. We're setting our children off on directions to follow whether we realize we're doing it or not. We can passively do this. If God is only important to you on a Sunday and you don't do anything during the week or there's no talk of God in your house during the week, well then your kids are gonna pick up, well, God's a Sunday thing. That's what I'd picked up as a kid. God's only interested in Sunday, but the rest of the week, He's nothing really interested in my life. We can do this passively or actively, but let's do it. Let's set them off on the right path. And again, within our church family, let's set examples for one another. You know, we're in this wonderful position where people are becoming Christians here, and it's wonderful. And they're, they're children in the faith. They're new in the faith. It's new to them. And our job as those who are a little bit older, a little bit further along, is to be good examples and to show them what living for Christ looks like. So let's set the direction for our children and let's set the direction in our church family too. Okay, let's move on to our next one. And this one is for singles, for people who maybe would like to be married one day. And I would love some of these proverbs to be turned into, you know those little verse of the days? Because they're just hilarious. I think these are the funniest possibly the most controversial Bible verses I've ever read. So let me read them to you, and then I'll tell you what this is all about. So Proverbs 18, it's not controversial. Whoever finds a wife finds what is good. Okay, wonderful. But then a few other verses. A quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Isn't that awful? And then they, then they get to these next two. Better to live on a corner of the roof then share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better live on the roof, mate, than live the quarrelsome wife inside. Then what about this one? Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Oh my goodness. And then this last one. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. <laughs> imagine, they were, imagine they were made in the nice little verses that you shared. Now, before you think this is being very sexist, it's not, okay? So Proverbs, it's written kind of like a father imparting wisdom to his son. But the book could easily be a father imparting wisdom to his daughter if he had one. These are, these are passages for men and women, so you could easily flip it round. Whoever finds... A husband finds what is good. A quarrelsome husband is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome husband. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging husband. A quarrelsome husband is like a dripping, store, a dripping uh, leaky roof in a rainstorm. You can, you can swap them around. They're interchangeable. And you're going, Marty, why on earth are these verses here? It's because the, the son who the writer of Proverbs is writing to He's not yet married. He's not married yet. And the father, he's trying to encourage him to actually marry someone who's compatible with him. 
don't just marry anyone, my son. You know, you might find a woman and she's absolutely beautiful, but beauty's fading. Don't be trapped by that. There's more important things than beauty. It's important of her character. It's important what she's like. And likewise, if he's writing to a daughter, it's important what your husband is like. You know, if he's six foot two, tall, dark, and handsome, that's wonderful. But if he's a nagging person and just quarrelsome, he's going to be a disaster to live with. It's written to encourage single people not to just marry anyone, but to really understand the person who they're going to marry and make sure that they're going to be get on, that they're not just going to be fighting all the time, that they're compatible. I want to encourage you if you're single here and, and maybe you would like to be married one day, and, and that might not be you. Singleness is a wonderful gift. Please don't mishear me. The Bible does not say that marriage is the best thing. It says that singleness is wonderful. And so you might be single here this morning and you've no intention of getting married. That is perfectly fine and perfectly good. And you can serve the Lord with all your might and that's good. But for those of you who are single and would like to be married one day, try to remember that you're not just called to marry anybody but to be wise and thoughtful in the type of person that you marry. Don't marry someone who's just going to argue with you all the time. You know, there are quarrelsome people. I have friends and they could, they could have arguments with the man in the mirror, do you know? We know people like that. Well, Proverbs says to be wise. Don't marry people if they're just going to be an arguing match every day of life. That's not going to be good. Don't marry people if they just nag all the time. They're just going to drain you. That's not going to be good. Marry people who you're going to get on with and who you can be compatible with. Now, don't mishear me. There are no perfect people. You know, whoever you marry, they're going to wind you up in some way. Yeah, I'm sorry, Emma. Um, I, think I, I think I wind Emma up, as you probably understand, more than she winds me up. But we all wind each other up. No marriage is perfect. No people are perfect. But if you're single and you want to be married... Be wise. Don't just marry the first person who comes along. Be wise and thoughtful in the type of person who you marry. Can you communicate well with each other? Do you enjoy being with them? Can you chat to them about anything? Do your values and your vision for life match up? Do you want the same things? Do you make a good team? Can you work together and do things together? Do your gifts and passions complement one another? Do you both love Jesus and want to serve him together? Could the person that you're thinking of marrying be your best friend forever? There are just some questions that you might want to think through if you want to be married. Now, how does this apply to the church? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> but, but it's interesting that quarrelsomeness is brought up over and over again, isn't it? A quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Quarrelsome, quarrelsome, quarrelsome. And I think it's an encouragement for us in our church family not to just be arguing about anything and everything. Don't argue for the sake of arguing. Don't be quarrelsome. Let's try to live at peace. Okay, last two. Shorter than the first three. Husbands and then wives. So let's look at husbands first. In the, in the book of Proverbs, as I said, one of the things that the writer is doing is he's trying to help his wife be discerning when it comes to, to choosing a wife. And at the end of Proverbs 31, he, he kind of paints this picture of a wife who he'd like his son to marry. And it's this beautiful picture of a wife. 
Um, but in the passage, we also see some things that the ideal man should be doing, that the ideal husband should be doing in a marriage. Let me read from Proverbs 31, 28 to 31. So talking about the, the ideal wife for, for his son, he says, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Do you see what the what Proverbs says the husband is to do? It says that the husband is to be one who praises his wife, who praises her. You see it a number of times. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her praise is at the city gate. A husband is called in Proverbs to be one who praises his wife. Husbands, how are you going at this? How are you going at praising your wife? Do you praise her for what she's like? Do you praise her for what she does? Is your wife one who would say, my husband is just always praising me and it's wonderful? Or would it be the opposite? He says nothing to me. I do lots of things for him and doesn't say a word. I do good things for others and he doesn't seem to recognize it. I do so much for our children and doesn't even seem to care. It's tragic, isn't it? It's not the way it's meant to be. Proverbs says that the husband, the wise husband, the good husband, the godly husband will praise his wife. Praise her to her face, praise her to the kids, praise her to his friends. The good husband praises his wife. Now, <laughs> man, husbands, uh, I think there's a few caveats here. First of all, your praise needs to be genuine, okay? Don't look up on Wikipedia, how do I praise my wife? You know, 10 things to say to my wife that'll make her happy. That's not the way to do this, okay? Be genuine, man, okay? When your wife does something that's praiseworthy or when you see something wonderful in her, just tell her and praise her. Make it genuine. Uh, don't follow it with a request, okay? <laughs> that is, that's a real man thing sometimes, isn't it? You know? That dinner was wonderful that you cooked tonight. I wonder, could you make dinner like that every evening, dear dear? You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's not the type of thing. Don't follow it with a request. Just praise her because she's worthy to be praised. Praise her often. You know, don't hold back. You know, sometimes men are stingy, aren't we? You know, we can be stingy in our praise. Don't hold back. Praise your wife often. Let her know what you think of her. Affirm her, bless her, honor her, praise her. That's what Proverbs says. Do you know what happens when you praise your wife? It brings her a smile, doesn't it? it? Makes her feel appreciated, makes her feel loved, makes her feel valued. Praise has this wonderful effect. A praise will bring a wife happiness. And you know what to say, happy wife, happy life. So... 
It's worth your while too, men, to do it. But no, seriously, bring your wife praise. And then wives, well, sorry, yeah, back to the church. Let's praise each other in church as well. You know, you see someone doing something good, praise them. Someone helps you, praise them. You see something in someone, tell them, praise them, encourage them. Let this be a place, not only where we praise God, but where we praise one another. Okay, finally, wives. The, the last thing it says is, that the, 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 again, this ideal wife, it says about her that she does her husband good. So look at the passage, Proverbs 31, 12. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. A wise wife will try to bring her husband good. It's really interesting that the first couple who were married were Adam and Eve. And they sinned and, and sin came into the world and it didn't just damage people's relationship with God, but it, it damaged people's relationship with one another. And the effect of sin, according to the Bible, is that a husband's and wife's relationship, it can kind of be one where they're clashing. In Genesis 3, it says that, that Adam will have dominion over you and you will desire that dominion over him. It's like this idea that, that men and women in a marriage, it's like they're, they're now, because of sin, can easily clash. And they can see each other as almost enemies or competing against one another. There can be this kind of one-upmanship even within a marriage. And what Proverbs says is that that's not the way it's meant to be. A wife, instead of trying to get one over on her husband or one up on him or trying to trip him up or trying to argue with him instead of trying to pull him down, it says that the wise wife will do good to her husband and not harm Husbands need encouragement. I'm going to just be honest. Husbands, and I think I'm speaking for all husbands, we do not feel like we do a particularly good job as husbands. We feel like we feel an awful lot. We kind of think of the ideal husband and all that that husband should be, and then we look at ourselves and we think, oh boy, we are rubbish at this. We don't live up to our own expectations. We don't live up to the husbands that we would like to be. I promise you, your husband does not sit at home thinking, I'm awesome. <laughs> he doesn't. Every day he thinks, I'm failing. I'm not doing this like I want to be. So I want to encourage you to, to do good to your husband because that will encourage him. You know, he doesn't probably need you to tell him what a terrible job of being a husband he's doing because he already knows. What he needs for you to do is to tell him that he's being a good husband in certain areas because that's going to help him. That's going to encourage him. That's going to help him to keep going and become a better man. So wives, do good with your words to your husband, not harm. <clears throat> do good with your actions, not harm. Build him up because he needs it. He needs you to encourage him to be a better husband. And I think this is a good lesson for all of us too, isn't it? Let's do good to one another in the church. The church is not a place to tear others down. The church is not to be a community where we're harming each other or scheming against each other or thinking how we can get one up on each other. That's not the way it's meant to be. We're not in competition with each other here. We're meant to be family. 
doing good to one another, encouraging each other, building each other up. I'd love it if this was the thing that we were known for at Ravenhill. A place where you go and are encouraged and built up where people do you good and do not do you harm. As I close, I just want to close with an invitation. And this morning it's an invitation for those of you who are part of a biological family but maybe not yet part of God's family. (laughs) Maybe you've found all of this advice very helpful and it's been good for you to hear. But maybe you don't know God as your father. Maybe you don't know God in your life. Maybe the thought of God being a loving father to you is abstract and strange. Well, this morning, I just want to invite you and let you know that you're invited to come into the family. We come into God's family through adoption. It's wonderful. He chooses us. And whenever we trust in Jesus as the forgiver of our sin, he just brings us into the family. And he walks with us in life. And he corrects us when we're going wrong. And he directs us and he leads us. And we know his love. And this morning I just want to say, if you're not yet in the family of God, he longs for you to be in it. The door is open. And you're invited to walk through it. Let me just finish with a little quote. I read an article this week and it was from a a lady in Australia. And it just... I just love this. And this is for you this morning if you're not yet in the family of God. She says, as a teenager, I came into the family of God alone. I took myself to church while my family stayed at home. There I found a loving spiritual family who welcomed me in and showed me the ways of God. Yet all the while, I continued to be a sister, daughter, and granddaughter with my biological family. My family of birth still stay at home every Sunday while I go to church, but I no longer go alone. In time, God blessed me with a husband and children who love Jesus. But I love this idea. As a teenager, this girl came into church alone. She didn't know anybody, but in church she found a home and a family who helped her to follow Jesus. Let us be that family. Let us be that family here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father and that you give us instructions and directions through your word. And Father, I would just pray for each of us that if there is one thing that you've said to us this morning, that you'd help us to take that one thing and to treasure it and to think about how to live it out. Lord, thank you that your word does not come back void, but accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So Lord, would your word have its accomplishment in our lives? Help us by your Holy Spirit to repent if we need to repent. Help us to put our trust in Jesus if we need to trust him. Help us to run back to your Father if we're far. But whatever you have said to us this morning, help us to respond in obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.